We are in the era of unprecedented noise across digital and social media, where some brands and movements seem to be screaming at people with paid posts and other content. Why do some campaigns fall off the radar while others go viral and trend globally? What makes some brands get it so wrong that they offend people and become bad examples of how not to communicate? Digital strategist at Gorilla Creative Media, Zahira Kasani, has been working in the marketing and advertising industries for over 12 years. Her focus is on e-commerce and data collection strategies, as well as heading up the social media team at Gorilla Creative Media. She joins me on this episode to talk about some of the latest trends in digital marketing, social media, and the growth of a phenomenon called Midnight Twitter. She has been the lead on many award-winning campaigns, some of which have won the MMA Agency of the Year, the Asagai Agency of the Year, and others. She notes that many digital creators and influencers are now leading the creative process more in their communities when collaborating with brands, rather than letting brands drive that process, which, as it turns out, leads to greater impact and ROI. Zahira has worked on digital strategy and community management across brands in telecommunications, banking, technology, FMCG, and other industries. Enjoy listening. Welcome to The Lead Creative, where we talk to the creative minds behind some of the leading brands, businesses, organizations, and top ideas that we all love. Our chats range from building brands, conceptualizing new products, strategy, and building businesses. I'm your host, Monge Zimtati. Zahira, it's exciting to have you on The Lead Creative. Thank you so much for having me, Mongezi. I'm happy to be here and happy to start this conversation. As a strategist in such a noisy time on digital, where are we creating more content than ever at the moment? And how do we differentiate our clients from a messaging perspective? So I think it's it's a very exciting time and interesting time for um, South Africans, Africa and the globe as as such. And, you know, with the move, with COVID hitting all of us in different ways across different countries and stuff, there's been such an increase in digital communication. And brands that are, st- you know, standing out in this space have have actually been able to break through the noise and the clutter and have been able to communicate directly to the consumers, understanding what the consumer needs are and what they're wanting out of their brands during this period in time. And I think that's so important and key to break through the noise and break through the clutter. And yes, it does always come down to, you know, creative and and the creative being something very different and something that feels different for consumers, but also being very understanding of the key, you know, insight and key opportunities and moments that consumers are looking for with brands. You know, we're looking for escapism in this period. We're looking for deals or good value for money because times are tough and things. And that's how, you know, the brands are able to communicate and to find that area of insight that consumers want and want to to experience with the brand. And they are finding that consumers then tend to love the brand more for it. I think it's a very interesting space. We've come very far in the last, you know, five months with a global pandemic. Yes. And it's also beautiful to see 
brands in Africa and South Africa taking it head on and, you know, developing things or developing ideas or ways to ease the pressure on consumers. And I think that's been great to see. One of the, I mean, one of the areas in which, in as much as there are great opportunities and we are understanding the changes as we go, one of the things is that Facebook, for instance, has algorithms or an algorithm that restricts brand content. And on Twitter, people also prioritize content that is almost community-driven across Mm -hmm. the various niche communities that they belong to. How do you know when to create a strategy that puts, say, a WhatsApp ahead of Twitter or Facebook? And how do you know? So I think... Yeah, I think the most interesting part in terms of that is that, you know, because, so looking at the South African example and stuff, right, Mm -hmm. we know, you know, who the consumers are, we know the plight we're going through, we know the difficulties people are going through. And because of restrictions and stuff, we're seeing other niche areas starting to thrive in this. So while we have data restrictions, we're seeing an increase in the use of WhatsApp because people still need to communicate with loved ones. They're not able to travel between provinces or cities and towns and stuff. And they're turning to that as a form of communication. And yes, we do have a data issue in South Africa. I completely understand it. But there are little, you know, telecom nuggets of five rand for 60 minutes of data or whatever the case is, which is driving that experience with consumers, we're seeing an increase of this kind of communication and understanding between, you know, consumers we'd never would have seen in the space before in the last four months increased exponentially. And and it's important for brands to know that it's time to really think and understand who their consumers are, what they're really wanting to know, and yes. where are they? Like really look and, and search for that information, understand where they really are. Yes, Facebook does have the largest audience in South Africa. It's a given. It's been around for a while, you know? Yeah, yeah. But but that really key integral communication sometimes doesn't happen there. Sometimes it's happening on WhatsApp. Sometimes it's happening on Messenger. Sometimes it's even happening on SMS. And it's understanding, you know, where can I talk to the consumer where they're very familiar with, as well as being able to communicate in the right voice and context for them that we get the most from them and they get the most from us as brands. With the pandemic, as you rightfully say, I mean, there's been, you know, exponential increase in usage of the web and digital and social media platforms where WhatsApp has seen an increase. When do you, as a strategist or a brand, know when to strike the balance and and almost, you know, see where the brand doesn't belong in the space of people communicating, especially now with the pandemic, where people are less inclined to want a brand message or if they do, the brand message has to be so well-crafted that it talks to the need, but it also talks to the consideration of where people are. So, you know, we always talk about, you know, understanding the insight and the human truth about consumers, and that has changed through the pandemic. So it's understanding what those changes have have made to to consumers, whether it's 
government restrictions or movement restrictions or job losses and stuff. And it's understanding and then, you know, finding those little nuggets and information, understanding what's currently happening called Midnight Twitter and who are these people and what are they talking about and what's driving those conversations. You know, in Instagram, you know, which are the influencers that are making the right impact on that platform? What are they talking about? How are they... uh, what are they giving to their fans and followers that's getting you know engagement? It's really being critical and and really deep diving deep into consumer understanding more than we ever have before. We've relied on on research that may have come out in 2019 or 2018, and all that's now out the window. The world has changed in such a different play, way, and we're seeing it even in African countries and stuff and like Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana, they're finding ways to talk to consumers on the platforms they're on, not necessarily always Facebook. Maybe it's through telecom partners. Maybe it's through the use of Twitter. Maybe it's not even Twitter. I mean, we've seen the increase in TikTok in the last few months. Um, and, And we're finding different ways or different places. But consumers want to be given the information that they're, you know, wanting to to consume. And it has to be the right context. You know, brands trying to jump onto the latest trends and stuff sometimes get it so wrong because we're trying to be part of the trend rather than understanding what the trend is about. Why is it trending? How are people getting involved in the trend? What is the angle then for the brand? Is there even an angle or we're just trying to be part of a trend? And I mean... Some brands do it lovely and some brands get it wrong and we get so much, you know, pushback and negativity from consumers and stuff because the the turnaround from them is that you don't understand. That understanding has always been part of advertising. Yes. I think we've sometimes lost it along the way. Yeah. But it's it's become more critical now than it has before. You mentioned two things there that I find very fascinating and 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 also they are critical right now in how we understand, I suppose, consumer behavior or user behavior across platforms. One of them is, is, is midnight Twitter, which isn't something that's spoken about a lot. How, how would you define midnight Twitter? Like, how is it different from the rest of Twitter as a whole? So South African midnight Twitter, I think it's, it's actually such an interesting place to, to see you know, South Africans come alive and people deal, you know, we always talk about South African humor and how we deal with problems and situations. And I think it comes through so much more in midnight Twitter than it does anywhere else. By the time you wake up in the morning, something is trending and you're like, what were they actually talking about? And it's just, it's random and it's a form of escapism. And sometimes there's some, you know, some serious conversations in there. I'm not taking away from from the seriousness of some of the, the conversations, but a lot of the time it's escapism and making things trend that just brings humor and fun and joy to people's life. And South African humor is next level. Uh, I wish I understood half of the tweets sometimes. I think it's sometimes lost on my language barrier. But, you know, what I do understand and the vernac- uh, and the Zulu that I do understand more more than anything, you know, it's it's hilarious. And I wish I could 
participate in it, but I don't have a funny bone in my body. <laughs> so, it, so it proves difficult. But if you if you actually look at Midnight Twitter, and, and it's something that they've actually, you know, this community of people, and I'm calling it a community, but it's it's quite a large number of people, have created and, and formed themselves. They call themselves Midnight Twitter. You wake up in the morning and someone's like, Midnight Twitter was off the you know, off the boards last night. And, and then you want to go back and find everything that people were talking about. And, and you'll see some of the trends last like till midday the next day. And you're like, oh my God, this is hilarious. <laughs> and and there are, like I said, there are some serious conversations. We do know there's some difficult period. Um, we, you know, we're all going through a difficult period, but it is the escapism channel. And if brands understand this and know, know how to tap into, and we're not asking social media managers to work, you know, early hours of the morning because that's not you know that's not the same but if you are up and you do see an opportunity and there's something that you understand that's very inherent with the brand learn to pick that up quicker learn to identify it and then start having those open conversations with brand teams or you know with seniors in your team going hey these things are happening this is what you know, they're using this midnight Twitter as an escapism. What can we bring to it? How can we help them escape? How can we make life easier for them? Do we do random giveaways that just brings joy to people? And giveaways is bare minimum. Don't quote me on that. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's how do we get that feeling and encourage that feeling and give people that sense of joy? Would this in your opinion, change how we work now in digital where people are also coming alive at, call it odd hours of the night when uh, office hours, of course, during the day. And then now here comes midnight Twitter after midnight coming alive. Would this change the communication you think that brands put out there and when they put it out there or how they interact and engage? Because the last thing you want is for your brand to have trended overnight while everybody was sleeping and you wake up in the morning to negative news about your brand, for instance. Totally. So, you know, as you were asking me the question, I started laughing in the back of my head and I was like, you know, coming from community management and social media manager and, you know, and, and, and things, that's my background. And I was like, oh, social never sleeps. We've heard that so many times before. And yes. for me, it's not about brands putting out the comms during that period. It's about understanding what the comms people want and are looking for and being able to use that in the day so that your community manager and your social media managers are able to create and carry that conversation and help, you know, fan that, that joy versus all the negativity that we're seeing online. And for me, it's not about being up at 12 at mm-hmm. midnight. It's not about being up at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's about learning to tap into that feeling and that insight and that sense of what people are experiencing, whether that comes goes out two days later, you're so in tune with what people have been talking about or looking for that you're able to communicate to them better. But, you know, like the saying goes, social never sleeps. You put something out even in the day, chances are you're still trying to look at it in the middle of the night as well. So you never know, you know, what that message could be and how that message could land. And that's where I think it comes into just, you know, the strategy part of knowing your audience, understanding what they're looking for, finding that human truth. And that comes to life at any time, anywhere. It's just 
because things have changed in this pandemic, these midnight Twitter conversations have been created. What is it about people there that's that's exciting and, you know, happening that you can tap into? You spoke about the fact that right now we are relying or at least have been reliant quite a bit on research that came out about social media in 2018 and 2019 and earlier this year before the pandemic so much so that some of this research, except for, I suppose, the numbers of, you know, so social media users, a lot of this research has become almost obsolete. How do we then, you know, get to a point of understanding this human truth more closely right now with social distancing, people not, you know, being able to come on to, I suppose, focus rooms, focus groups, rather, and have those conversations. If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please take a moment to share this episode with your network. Please hit subscribe or follow this podcast to get our latest episodes. Enjoy the show. So, you know, with the change of what's been happening, I think focus groups are still important. I just, I believe that there's more to tap into. A lot of the time... um, with focus groups or the research we've done in the past and stuff, we've managed to loosely, I'm saying this loosely, steer conversations in ways that we want to look at research and develop items in, in terms of what we're looking for as a brand. Whereas, you know, with all these changes right now, that's no longer the case. We can't really, you know, um, try and find the area we're looking for we're needing to understand audiences a whole lot better and for me it's even though we have social distancing and stuff it's looking at the trends looking at people in you know the target audiences we're talking about sometimes sliding into the dm if possible um you know if people are willing to have that conversation and openness with you why not take a chance and try it because we're not able to come together as focus groups what if you know someone what if you and when i say in contact not face to face and stuff but what if you're in contact with people in the target audience that you're you would not normally have spoken to about the questions that you have why yeah. not speak to them WhatsApp's allowing for video calls, Messenger allows for group video calls, you know, we're on Google Meet and you're able to have a few people in it. There's opportunity to talk to people in different ways. And sometimes it's interesting because when you're in that line to go to get your groceries and you're waiting because, you know, so many people only allowed into a store and things like that, watch people, observe people, you know, those are key things. You know, we should always rely on the shopper teams you know, observing consumers' interactions and buying habits in store, you're part of that consumer group now. Like, look at how they shop. Look at when you stand in line, what are the conversations people are, you know, having? How can you start up a conversation with someone behind you, in front of you, without, you know, getting close to each other? Because people are more willing to talk now than ever. And, you know, they're frustrated, but they still happy in in a line waiting to get into a store um, it, in the store their buying habits have changed they go either sh- straight to the food stuff or straight to you know necessities and stuff and not shopping around for other things or maybe they are shopping for other things but they're deeming it a necessity so it's just yes it's a lot of watching mm. it's also a lot of starting up conversations it's no more 
focus group types of conversations. Um, that being said, there are quite a few ways to do focus group studies still during this period. And I know a lot of people are doing it, like Hunter and stuff like that. Yes. But it's it's now being, as a strategist, really opening your eyes. No more relying on just the research you get given and some great strategists out there go this, this extra step, step and now we're being forced to do that extra step. And I think that's going to be critical. One of, your, one of the parts that you do very well, which is part of your role at uh, Gorilla Creative, mm-hmm. is looking at data collection strategies. What is that showing you right now about user behavior and and I suppose the types of conversation you're having? I mean, research is obviously pointing to the fact that people are now shopping more for necessities than anything else and necessities are becoming the prime part of the conversations that we are having and pricing also around these necessities. What else are you seeing from, I suppose, your data collection that has changed or is changing about consumer behavior. It's interesting that you say that because a lot of the FMCGs that we work with are catering to what was deemed previously as lower LSM, so lower uh, living standard measure group, you know, uh, communities and stuff, and what you deem um, in South Africa middle to lower income households. And the data is proving very interesting right now in terms of even this lower income households, while they still do their mass like shopping or mass, you know, purchases end of month, beginning of month when they've been paid and things, they're also looking a lot on their deals. They're looking for um, ways to, if, if it means that they need to purchase something online, they're trying to learn and understand how to do that, that purchase online if it means I'm getting a better deal. Mm. I'm not going to lie about it. We know with current situation, current economic strife, people are looking for the deals. But we're seeing quite a bit of data where people are willing to be open-minded about moving into the e-commerce area where previously, even last year, unless you were like higher middle to higher income brackets, you were too scared to shop online. You were too scared to even think about putting, you know, your credit card details online. Take a lot, one day, not one day only, sorry, take a lot, Mr. D. People who've opened up the aspect of you can order online and when I come to deliver, you can pay, Mm. have been proving to see more success than some of the other areas. Still, lower to middle income groups are still doing their purchase in store, end of month, beginning of month, but are using the opportunity through the month to find those bargains to go to the specific store because they will get more bang for their buck Mm. than anywhere else. Yes. It is a tough situation. We would think, you know, when we're looking at data strategies and stuff in the last two years and stuff, we were seeing different kind of uptake in things, whereas five months, in the the last five months, things have increased exponentially or or changed considerably. Mm. Yeah. And now it's a matter of, of being able to tap into that understanding. People are willing to sign up, give their details, be part of something, understand something, know the community, know the brand, know the, you know, as long as they're getting something back for it. And sometimes that getting back is that, oh, you're getting a coupon and when you go in a month, you can use it. Pick and pay, check it, shop right, spa, you know, all the big places I go to. 
and and that's where then they're finding you're finding them through the month looking for that deal to be used when they do the end of month you know shopping mm, so that open mindedness and the the call it education job of e-commerce is almost becoming easier now it has become easier with with people understanding the value of stretching their buck totally you know it's so funny cuz you you're also very familiar with this for the last 5 6 years maybe even longer i think we've heard data strategy strategies and e-commerce get thrown around so much we know you know we've worked on brands previously who've been trying to push e-com and then there's been slow uptake and no goes and you know really hard and then you know the data is showing us that they're looking at at being more open minded about it looking at signing up for stuff or being part of things that allows them to through the month look for specials so end of month shopping becomes more important and more you know beneficial to them in the long run you know what what's interesting though is still you know we're not tapping into the poor rural communities and i think that comes through more data being open up to to them that being said rural communities have taken to whatsapp quite significantly so you've got the whatsapp groups where you know what we call the ladies getting together and and in put, pulling money together and well, things like that yeah? stuff fell yes thank you and it's just becoming quite an interesting space to be in um you know in, in and and the people embracing it has been so phenomenal to see so um, group what, buying so group buying alongside the e-commerce space becoming even more significant now during the pandemic and during lockdown Exactly and we we saw you know in the last few years we've seen brands like Takelot and stuff do so well with the e-coms in you know the higher um income brackets and and things like that but we're even seeing that now with them opening up a lot of their um basic necessities like you know dishwashing soap and stuff and people you know it's starting to appeal to people in 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 that sense and you know if if they're looking at the deal online and they're finding it worth their while they're trying to learn and understand how they can get it whereas before it was taking us 5 6 years to try and get people you know comfortable with even putting bank details onto onto these e-com platforms the lovely feature of being able to also pay when you get delivered you know the delivery has been a good move by by a lot of the e-com brands online because they're starting to understand people are worried they are concerned on data security and safety and and things like that and and are not always willing to put their their card information so they've adapted to that quite significantly and i i think that's been seen quite a bit um just on whatsapp groups themselves you know there's little fruit and veg communities that i've seen crop up in durban and johannesburg going hey um you know i've got these fruit and veg for sale at these prices we deliver within this range at this cost and people are, are taking to it it means it's coming home to them they're safe at home they're not having to leave their houses but at the same time they're getting the the bare necessities that they need other people are looking for deals and coupons through the month to be used at end of month purchases How do these smaller groups of sellers and buyers and people looking for deals outside of big open platforms for instance like a Facebook or a Twitter how does that change the trend or or at least communication around where brands should be going with their communication and 
how it influences where and what we communicate on digital? I think it also depends on the brands. A lot of the brands we're familiar with are quite big brands and stuff. So the communication tends to differ quite a bit. But you're looking at even the bigger brands, understanding WhatsApp groups and WhatsApp communities and tapping into the stock files or tapping into being able to you know, bang through WhatsApp and, and and things like that. I think that's Capitec and, and even FNB and, and Standard Bank and stuff like that. So they're understanding that the consumers are looking at different spaces and they are communicating in those spaces. When it comes to, you know, creative and things like that, the, the beauty of these other, you know, dark social platforms is you're able to share that. You're able to, this thing, and we, you know, I always tell, Back in the day, we always made sure, and even right to this day, we made sure that, you know, you any images you put up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, has your logo and stuff because people take that and share it in dark social. That's always been the case. It's always been there. But, you know, it's now for brands to understand how to tap into that a little bit more and tap into it better. It's still going to take some time. I don't think anyone is really proficient in that. I think maybe some of the African countries like Kenya um, through the Safricom and stuff have tapped into those kind of niche groups really well. And I think maybe some of the Nigerian brands and, and things which, sorry, unfortunately not coming to mind right now, but I've seen you know them understanding and understanding what the comms is or driving comms on other platforms to go, cool, you know, we're on WhatsApp or on, you know, you can SMS us here for this um, and being able to have then those conversations or being able to give, you know, deals and information to consumers on those platforms in that market. I know we've seen quite a few case studies in, in previous years around, you know, some of the uh, Safricoms and the beer brands or even MTN in, in Nigeria and stuff doing that really well. And it's now starting to grow, I think, across the African region in that sense. With more and more people now adding the word influencer on their profiles, how do you determine who to collaborate with and who is relevant in various spaces where you have to do work with, uh, with influencers? So for us, when we're looking at influencers, we're looking very closely in terms of, you know, what the brand stands for, what we're trying to communicate, who we're trying to communicate with. Then you're looking at then finding people in those areas, but also looking at are those people, are their followers and fans really from the areas we want to communicate in? Are the engagements coming from those? Are they real, fake? There's so many also various tools and resources out there, you know, making use of that. But it's it ultimately... It's up to the the agencies or brand teams and stuff to really, you know, start looking in depth into these people that are deeming themselves influencers. Sometimes your nano influencers, so the guys with really small followings and things, are getting you more value than the guys who have who are mega influencers with millions of followers and, and things like that. Because each each area has a Defined objective. So like you're looking at mega influencers when you want to get awareness about your campaign or awareness about your creative or, you know, special or whatever. But when you really want to tap into markets and stuff, you're looking at your nanos and micro influencers who are able to engage with the communities and the brand also being in being able to engage with those communities through those influencers. It is a very important 
to really investigate the people you want to use. We've always tended to see a lot of brands go with mega influencers and it is good for that brand because it brings a face to that brand. It's like a brand ambassador and things. But when we're wanting to tap into that real community feel or real engagement and really want to get an outcome from something, you know, start investigating the smaller influencers, see who they are, what their communities are talking about, what they're talking to with their communities, you know, what are the engagements coming from that? What I've seen beautifully is some influencers lately looking at the communities, asking them to help, you know, what should they create next? What should they do next? Which is such a great space to be in because it means you're giving power to the people as such. And they're then creating stuff for them, which then sees higher engagements, higher levels of views, higher trends coming from it. I I find that very fascinating. It also feels a bit like going a few years back and, you know, going to the first round of, you know, bloggers and influencers and creators who existed then. Um, What I really love, I know it's hard to say this during the pandemic, but what I've really loved seeing coming out of this pandemic has been creators are starting to be creators in South Africa. You know, it's something we've seen at a global level where people call themselves influencers and content creators. But in South Africa, a lot of the time, brands feed the creative to these influencers, whereas this has driven creators to start creating properly. Yeah, and building and building content that brands can be part of as opposed to the other way around where the brand drives the creative. Exactly. And and it's, um, it's also great because... A lot of people have been upskilling themselves. And I think that is such a beautiful thing in this time and climate to see come from it. Because I always believe in the strength of people learning and, and, and pushing themselves further. And whereas before, like you said, you know, brands led that creative. Here, content creators and influencers are leading that creative, which is nice. It's a great space to be in. Mm-hmm. And it means you're getting more authentic content. From an influencer perspective, Zahira, on uh, closed platforms like like WhatsApp, I mean, I've seen videos that have been shared with me and, and, and many other people across my circle that only exist seemingly on WhatsApp and nowhere else. And these videos go viral, if you will, across... WhatsApp on a one-to-one basis. In that space, how do you measure campaign impact? It's a, it's a hard place. It's, it's a question a lot of brand teams and marketing teams always are asking, and they are asking that out of digital as a whole all the time. What's the ROI, how we're measuring it, what's the impact and, and things, and it is very hard. On dark social, more than anything, it's a difficult space to be in, but there's little tactics and ways and ways in which that you can start looking at the results of things like that. So an example of it is, you know, affiliate codes. Is it possible to put it on those videos, images, and things like that? Because you're you're starting to be able to track then, were were those influences better for you? Did they result in an outcome and things? And affiliate codes, you know, it's old school blogging stuff where you used to have affiliate codes and you should drive and you see it with YouTube creators and things now like, hey, use this code and you'll get a further 10% off and things like that. And, And that kind of starts 
being able to measure the success of things in, in dark social. It's not 100% foolproof. I'm not saying that is the only way, only mechanism to use, it's an example, but you're able then to judge whether that's driving to something or is it a, a specific tag link that these people are sharing with these videos? Are people then clicking on those links? Are you seeing you know, results and outcome from those? Are you, if you've, random example, if you're saying, if you've got a special in-store coming up in the next few weeks and it's driven through dark social, uh, are you seeing an increase in sales and stuff in stores? And it, those aren't immediate results. You'd have to wait a few weeks to see, but you can start then putting some, you know, baseline, you know, key performance indicators, you know, key to start tracking and judging and seeing if that works in the long term. So I think it, it is a hard space. It is a difficult space. It's difficult for brands to be okay and comfortable with it. You have to be really open-minded to at least try it once uh, and see if there's results from it and then go, cool, if that's how measuring results, can I do it again? And what does what the, what the does that look like? There is no foolproof ROI on a lot of things, especially dark social, but there are little mechanics that you can use to start tracking and judging. A lot of things have been happening during um, during the pandemic in terms of content creation. I mean, I've, I've noticed that, um, for instance, government is now also releasing content live um, on Facebook Live, for instance, or across platforms where they used to rely on TV as the first as the first medium. Have you seen any interesting ways in which brands have been creating content now during the pandemic and lockdown? So, uh, you know, we, we've seen some interesting ways in, in terms of quite a few brands taking to live streaming and stuff more than they've ever had previously. Uh, and a lot of people tapping into that live streaming. And I think you see it, you know, like you mentioned, I think you see it really, you know, come alive with the government team, which have totally surprised me. I've worked with them previously or in previous, you know, you know, agency work life and things like that. And they were always slow to the uptake on it. Absolutely. And during this yeah. pandemic, it's it's been phenomenal, the stuff that they've done and the way they've moved forward in terms of the digital space. It's great to see. And I think you're seeing that also from brands who were very reluctant previously to look like at Instagram Live or Facebook Live or Twitter Live, who've now taken to it quite quickly or have done webinars or have done, you know, group call sessions with, um, you know, marketing teams or brand teams or product R&D teams or influencers and stuff. And I think it's such an interesting space to be in. And that got built and turned around quite quickly when we first went into lockdown because uh, we're all familiar with the, the level five restrictions we went into. And now it's like, cool, we've, we've seen a lot of those live sessions, what's the next, you know, thing we can tap into because people are a bit fatigued or data restrictions are now, you know, being uh, more realistic because no longer we're sitting at home. Some of us still have to go out and, and, and work and whatever, or hopefully working. But yeah, so, you know, just just looking at the government as an example where, you know, as you said, they relied on SABC, you know, for the news. It's We're doing a live Zoom call and it will be broadcast on SABC. And it will, and I love the fact that they're becoming more 
360 in their digital comms. Yeah. Um, and and I'm tr- um, brands are starting to do that as well. I've seen, you know, we've seen a few brands who put out messaging through their social platform and then you're watching TV and you're like, oh, there's the TV ad, but I didn't know there was a TV ad because I saw all the comms on social. And now I'm like, oh, cool, let me check it out. And then in store, I'm seeing, you know, similar communication and stuff. And, and yes, there's always been, you know, through the line campaigns and things like that. But the coming together of the different platforms or the news channels and live sessions and content that's been created has been actually quite phenomenal to see. If we've learned one thing in 2020, it's that strategies can no longer be created a year or six months in advance. Social media has become even more immediate than ever now. Does this change how we'll plan going into 2021 and 2022 across digital and beyond? I think it does. Um, like you said, we can't. you can't do a strategy like 2019 strategy and hold it for 2020. That didn't work. Didn't work for a lot of brands and brands who couldn't adapt and realign their strategies in 2020, you know, had a lot of problems and a lot of issues, but are now slowly coming to the fore. I think what we're looking at going into 2021 is that we can build the foundations. We can take the learnings from this pandemic, the learnings from consumers, the way the trends are now going to build the foundation of those strategies going into next year. As you start building that foundation, you're able to find what's that, you know, insights for your brands, those human truths for your brand, and then look at it in terms of what your communication plans are for 2021. It's very interesting in that, I mean, we used to plan at least six or so months in advance. How does this change the content planning side? Because once again, the month-long content plan for social media has also changed dramatically, or do we use the same format there where we put the foundations down and not the whole plan, but brands sometimes expect the whole plan. And and, and it's it's a it's a bit of a training situation with 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 brands, right? It's a training situation to go cool. It, I would still I would definitely still have the foundations. I think the foundation is a great place to start. But the the big thing I would also push with brand teams is this is the starting point, but each week we're going to reassess it and if something doesn't fit, we're going to change the foundation. And if that if we change the foundation, know that the content is changing. That being said, if you've created a month of content for brands and because that's still what they're very inherently you know, know and understand and, and, and um, you know, you've trained them for that. The, the bottom line is being able to go, cool, this is your content plan. But if anything changes, we're giving you a call in the morning and we're updating this plans and we need reverts within the next so many hours. And it's trying to make them understand that it's an ever-changing society. Um, the, they will be familiar with that. These five months have taught them to be, able to adapt and be more agile than ever. So it's making sure that they're they're aware of it. And, you know, it's great. Send them the month of content plan, send them the foundation, but send them with the caveat going, hey, cool, you've got this. But no, we will be always, you know, assessing and checking it because anything can change. Anything can happen. We know when we would be running a few brand campaigns when the president's going to speak every Sunday, 
we learned to pull it. Hey, every Sunday for the last few weeks, he's been giving a talk. So this coming Sunday, we're not putting stuff out then. We rather hold it or put it the day before or change it or make it earlier in the day so that it doesn't impact when the president decides to talk. But also we're not going to put it on the Monday because depending what he says, we may have to change those content. And it's being able to manage those expectations. It does put pressure on agencies and creative teams and things. So it's a little bit of understanding how to manage those. And sometimes things that have been planned or done don't need to change. So then it's fine. But it's always knowing and being aware of the current situations. Zahira Kasani, thank you very much for making the time. I think that's a great place to close on. Be agile and more adaptable. Create the foundations um, of your strategy rather than plan a year-long or six-month-long strategy. That was uh, very interesting. Um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Mangesi. I look forward to listening to all your the rest of the podcast series. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with a friend or anyone who might like it. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter at Mongezi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast is also hosted on iAfrican.com forward slash radio. You can find me and more of my content on mongezi.com. <laughs>